0: to him, we'll use this so that we will appreciate him more and we will find peace even in our struggles with sin. So chapter, or I'm sorry, I keep wanting to say chapter but Jude doesn't have any chapters. I apologize. Verse 5, let's begin there. Now I want to remind you Although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Now, remember what we walked through last week, right? Jude is calling believers to contend for the faith, to hold on to the faith that has been passed down to us from the apostles, and to to not only contend for it and hold on to it, but to perpetuate it, right? That we are to be a disciple-making church that teaches the truths of the gospel, that goes back to 1 Corinthians 15 and reminds us that it is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that saves us and sustains us and grows us. And so Jude moves from that and he says, I want to remind you, right he wants to take his readers back now remember we said last week we don't know the church that Jude is writing to he doesn't mention them right it's not like paul when he says to the church in corinth or to the church in philippi but we know that Jude is writing to a specific church because there are specific problems in the church and he wants to deal with them specifically And so he wants to remind them of the things they already know. So he's going to take us back to the Old Testament. He's going to take us like Paul does in 1 Corinthians to the people of God in Israel and show us, help us learn from their folly. As my kids get older and as I deal with the sinfulness of my past, I am learning to say often, learn from my bad example right? Like, don't put on one face for your parents and then another face for your friends. I was a bad example in that, right? Don't act like you're the good kid at church and then run to do anything and everything at the parties. That, that, that was me, right? So, so trying, Paul wants us to look at the mistakes of Israel and learn from them, He wants us to take the Old Testament seriously, and that's what Jude wants. Jude wants us to take the Old Testament seriously and apply it to our lives. And of course, he reminds them. He says, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, he's not questioning their intelligence. He knows that they are struggling with it, not because they're ignorant, not because they've forgotten. They're struggling with it because... Sometimes our sinful hearts want to ignore everything our minds have taken in. Sometimes our sinful hearts want to override the commands of God and the the lessons from the lives of Scripture that we know. And so Jude says, I want you to know this even though you once fully knew it. You were once fully committed to what the Bible says. You've walked away from it. So know That Jesus, who once saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. He's talking about what we just read. He's talking about the Exodus. He is reminding the people in the New Testament that Jesus was active in the Exodus. Now, some of your translations may have the word Lord there. And, you know, there are, um, we have some older texts here that say Jesus and some older texts that say Lord. I don't want you to be concerned about that or confused by that. You should notice that in the New Testament, almost every time the word Lord is used, it's not talking about God the Father, it's talking about God the Son. So whether your translation says Lord or Jesus, it's coming back to the second person in the Trinity. And Jude is saying that Jesus was actively involved in saving the people of Israel during the Exodus. He was a part of that wind blowing, that ground drying, and the people of God walking across a whether you want to call it a sea or a really large lake, the Red Sea that's, that's in between uh, Egypt and the Arabic Peninsula, that, that's up to you, um, but they, it happened, okay? And then God brought the waters back and muddied the ground so that when the Egyptians tried to pursue, they met destruction. God saved his people. And then after Exodus 14, you read the stories of them in the wilderness. And it is just mistake after mistake, idolatry after idolatry, grumble after grumble. The people of God were not as thankful to God as they should have been. And in fact, the destruction that Jude is talking about here really comes back to Numbers 14, which I think was studied in Sunday school this morning where Caleb and Joshua and the rest of the spies go in to to spy out the land, and they come back, and Caleb and Joshua have this good report that it's a land full of, of milk and honey. But the rest of the spies are concerned about the walls that have been built, about the weaponry that exists, and about the people that are there. And so they lie, and they give a bad report. And then God brings judgment upon Israel. In fact, each one of those spies that lied, they, they contract a plague and they die. And Moses and Aaron have to go before the Lord and plead with him not to just wipe Israel off the map. What Jude wants us to learn from this story is that faith, belief, it matters among God's people. And one of the things that you need to see, and this is our next note if you're taking them, is that you're only saved from slavery to sin by faith. You are only saved from slavery to sin by faith. You cannot come at the the idea of Christianity and the story of Christianity and say, I just want to learn as much as I can about it. And that will save me to be very knowledgeable about it. You can know every verse in the Bible and still go to hell. And you cannot come at on the opposite extreme and say, well, I'm just going to work hard to obey God and listen to what he says and do what he tells me to do. One, that's impossible. But two, you could be absolutely perfect from this day forward and you will still go to hell because of your previous sins. The only way that you can be saved from the slavery from slavery to sin is by faith, by trusting in the work of Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection on your behalf. And friends, we must get, we must understand That the hand that led Israel out of Egypt is the same hand that was pierced for your sin. The God who saved Israel is the same God who sent Jesus for us. And that powerful right hand that brought judgment on Egypt... That powerful right hand that made a way for the people of God, that is the hand that the nails went through. And we've got to come to the place where we rest and rejoice in the goodness and in the power of Jesus dying in our place. Friends, if you're in here today and you are an unbeliever or you're not sure about Jesus, I want, to, I want to confront you with this truth that sin enslaves. You may think that you're free because you do not follow what a God says. You may think you're free because you know, you know better than to believe in fairy tales about people walking across dry land through, through a sea. We can, we can deal with that at another time. But, but I want to get to your heart. Friend, I, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but sin has warped your mind and enslaved your heart. And there's something that you don't want to give up to follow God. It may be greed. It may be lust. It may be a desire for power. It may be a desire for popularity. I don't, I don't know what it is. But every person born apart from Christ has been born into slavery to sin. And so I want to to encourage you to see that the only thing that will free you from this slavery is the gospel. It is only through trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It is only through committing yourself to the God that created you that you will be able to leave your brokenness and leave your sinfulness and find true freedom. And if your concern is that it's not freedom, if you're following religious laws, let me remind you that if you want to be a good sailor, you need a compass. You need the ability to read a map. If you and I were to jump into a sailboat today, we would be lost and probably die within a week. Okay? But if we understood how to read oceanography, and if we understood how to use a compass, we would have the freedom of the seas. Friends, the scriptures are not enslaving. They are freeing. They give us the direction and they fill us with the story of God's salvation to allow us to live in freedom. Christians, You need to know that you are no longer a slave to sin. You don't have to sin anymore. Now, you will, because we all fight and struggle with sin and with temptation, but you don't have to. You are free. And like Paul tells us in Galatians and in Ephesians, we should use our freedom for good, for our good, and for the good of those around us. So we don't use our freedom from sin recklessly, we use it to serve and honor the people that are around us, and to glorify the God who saved us. Church, we need to stick to the compass, right? We need to be about this book, and even preaching the hard things, like Jude 5 through 7. In the public square, we need to know the sin that our hearts love, right? We need to know the sins that draw us, and we need to pray against them and fight against them, (coughs) and in some ways, avoid them, right? Remember what Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount. If your eye causes you to sin, what are you to do? Pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, what are you to do? Cut it off. That's hyperbole, right? I guess that's why nobody in here has plucked out their eyes because of sin, even though we all should have, okay? Okay. The hyperbole draws us not to actually pluck our eyes out and actually cut our hands off, but rather it calls us to take drastic measures to fight against sin. And so we need to know where our hearts go to. We need to know the sins that our hearts are attracted to. And we need to pray against it and fight against it. And in some ways, find avenues to avoid it altogether. So we go to verse 6. This is where it gets interesting. Jude says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Now, the first question you're going to ask is, where is this in the Old Testament? Now, we're going to lean on Jewish tradition here. Okay? So if you go back to Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, right before the world is flooded, and Noah and his family are saved. There's this mention of these sons of God who fall in love with women, have sex with those women, and these children are born that are giants. Now, Jewish tradition, especially around the time of Jude, believed that these sons of God were actually angels who gave up being angels to take on human form. Now, Notice who that sounds like. It sounds like Jesus in Philippians 2, right? That he gave up being God, took on human flesh. And what did he do? He came to live in obedience, die on the cross, save us from our sins. They, however, took on human flesh because they looked at the women that were around them and thought, they are beautiful. And they became human. They had sex with those women and they produced these almost superhuman people. Now, can I be 100% sure that this is what Jude is talking about? No. Okay. But I think because of the Jewish influence that was around Jude and because he was Jewish, that this is, this is a, a good way to interpret Genesis 6. It's kind of weird, right? But, it's, but it, it falls in line with the historical basis of our faith. And it helps us get a a handle on what Jude is talking about when he says that these angels did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. It's almost like, if we go back to Genesis for another story, Jacob and Esau, okay? Esau was the older brother, which means he should have inherited everything. Um, Esau was a manly man, I mean his name literally means red and hairy, you know so I mean he he came out a man's man. He was the guy that went hunting with his dad, he was the one who was who was tough, and then his younger twin brother, Jacob, came out actually holding on to the heel of his brother, and that's what Jacob means to to grab the heel and Jacob was a mama 's boy who, who hung out in the kitchen, and he was I think the best way to describe him is he was conniving, right? He liked to lie and twist things to get what he wanted. And so one day Esau's been out in the field hunting and working, and he comes in and he's starving, and Jacob is eating a bowl of lentil soup. And Esau says, Jacob, let me have that soup. And Jacob says, I will, for your birthright. And Esau says, if I die, what good is my birthright to me? And so he gives up his birthright for lentil soup. These angels gave up their position within the cosmos of being God's messengers, of being the ones who who did the bidding of God because they found the human women sexually attractive. Don't miss what Jude is telling us here. He is telling us, and this is our next note, that sin hates the lordship of Jesus, and that leads to destruction. Sin hates the lordship of Jesus, and that leads to destruction. Because we notice that not only did they leave their proper dwelling, but that they have been kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Now this could be literal, that these angels have been chained since Genesis 6. But I think what Jude is saying is that even though they tried to leave the authority of God, they still do God's bidding. If they've, if they've become, like the Jewish tradition teaches, um, sort of this, this demonic force that, that serves Satan, do not forget what happens in Job chapter 1. When, when Satan wants to tempt Job, who does he have to go to for permission? It's to go to God. We believe that even though Satan and the demons are at work, they cannot do anything unless God allows it. And so even though these angels in their sin tried to escape God's authority, they still stay under God's authority. And friends, our sin hates that Jesus wants to be Lord of our life. But the reality is, is that Jesus is not just our Savior, he is also our Lord. He is the boss of who we are. He is the one who, when he says go, we go. When he says stay, we stay. That's why the New Testament is so important, because we're able to see the laws of God in the Old Testament and the commands that we find in the New Testament, and we filter it through the cross and the resurrection, and we know who we are and what we're supposed to do. Unbelieving friends, you are not a good God. You may think that you like being able to tell yourself what to do. And you may think that having a personal moral code is something that you can live up to, but I promise you, again and again and again, you will fail even your own standards. And here's what we Christians have come to find, that God is good and gracious and loving and kind to those who will humble themselves, repent of their sins, and believe in Him. Now, those of you claiming to be Christians and who continue in your pride and in your arrogance to disregard who God is and what he said, this message applies to you too. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James, the other brother of Jesus, said something about that, right? Peter tells us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We should not be In fact, I would say we cannot be like these angels, usurping God's authority, doing what he's told us not to do, and still think that we are safe in the arms of Christ. If we are actively fighting against God and his rule, we cannot claim to be his. Christian, it's okay not to be the boss. It's okay to allow God to have authority over you. It's okay for him to be in charge of your life. I mean, some of us this afternoon need to take a piece of paper and write a a T-graph and on one side, put every decision we've ever made on our own and how that ended up. And then every decision that God has led us to and how that ended up. And I promise you, That side with what God has led you to, it has been hard things. It has been difficult things. Sometimes it's been things he hasn't led you into, but he's pushed you into. But they are are the places where you have seen him work the most. They are the places where you have seen his faithfulness the most. And that left side is probably a big ball of mess, right? So it's okay to not be the boss. And we need to show the sweetness of his lordship. We don't need to be cranky followers of Jesus. We need to find our happiness and joy in him and willfully obey him. Not as something we have to do, but as something that we get to do. Something that we are privileged to do because we love our Lord. Church, we need to make it clear that Jesus is the Lord of this church that we, are, we don't have warring factions going against each other for control, that I'm not some sort of cult leader, right? Jesus is the Lord of this church. And the pastors and the deacons that lead it are under shepherds, the Sunday school teachers, and, and, and when you know, we start seeing discipleship groups happening, those folks are under the lordship of Jesus. And if their lives do not match up, to being under the lordship of Jesus, then prayer and changes need to happen. In the public square, we have to live as if Jesus is our Lord. We finish with verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of fire. Friends, you can go back to the story in Genesis 19. Um, there were two angels um, that took on human form, and they came to visit Lot, who was living in Sodom. Uh, these, these men wanted those two angels to come out so that they could rape them. And it's an ugly story. There's lots of ugliness to it. But because of that, God judges Sodom and Gomorrah and, and the towns that are, that are near to them because of their sinfulness. And in Ezekiel chapter 16, we're told that part of that sin is their inhospitable reactions to people that needed help. They were not a place of kind-hearted hospitality. But Jude helps us understand that it's not just hospitality. Their sexual sin led to destruction. The fact that they wanted to force themselves sexually on someone who did not want it. The fact that they wanted to do something sexually that is not in God's design. Friends, our hearts need to be softened towards those who are attracted to people of the same sex. There is grace and mercy for them. But just because there's grace and mercy doesn't mean that acting out on those things is okay. God designed sex to work within a marriage of one man and one woman for a lifetime. He's created our bodies complementary. And anything that goes against that, whether it's multiple sexual partners or it's homosexuality, anything that goes against that breaks God's law because it messes up the design. And so... We read the warning from Jude here, and we come to this realization, our, net, our last point, that sin hates holiness and leads to destruction. Sin hates holiness and leads to destruction. Sin does not want us to live lives that are set apart by God. Sin does not want us to live lives that honor God for being holy and good. Friends, Jesus is our holiness. On the cross, he gives us his holiness. We are washed clean immediately because of the work of Jesus. But he also gives us his Holy Spirit so that we will long for holiness, and he gives us his Holy Spirit to equip us for holiness. So that not only are we positionally holy before God, but we can live as holy people fighting against sin, loving the Lord, and living as being called out. Unbelieving friends, you can't even keep your own rules. So how in the world are you going to keep God's rules? You know, Benjamin Franklin, our founding father, he kept a, what he called his moral ledger. And he had all of these, these vices of his that he was working on, things as simple as lying and greed to some bigger ones. And every day in his life, he could not keep the ledger clean. Now, Benjamin Franklin, his his stated religious beliefs were deism, which means that he believes that God created the world and then walked away from it. And and Benjamin Franklin believed that Jesus was a good moral person and he may even have been a prophet of God, but he he, he was not the Messiah. Benjamin Franklin couldn't live up to his own standards. And in fact, later in his life, um, as he was leading things like the Declaration of the Independence and, and the Constitution, um, he was actually having, an aff- having multiple affairs uh, with women half his age. And, uh, and it's just heartbreaking to read things like that. And Benjamin Franklin grew up in a home that loved the Lord. Um, his sister was writing letters to him all the time to try to convert him. Uh, he was good friends with George Whitfield, who was this, this British pastor who had come to America. And his preaching had helped lead the Great Awakening, where, where many from Georgia all the way up to Massachusetts were saved through the preaching of the gospel. But Benjamin Franklin is a reminder to us that we can't be holy on our own. We need Jesus so Christian, you need to, to, to settle two things in your heart. One, you are saved by grace. It is a gift of faith that you don't deserve. But two, you have been saved to walk in the works that God has prepared for you. So as the reformer Martin Luther says, we are saved by grace alone, but not by a grace that is alone, Right? That grace should change our hearts and cause us to walk in holiness. Church, we need to love holiness together. We need to pursue purity together. We need to gently fight sin together. And I say gently because... We don't want to become Pharisees. And we don't want to say, my sins are less than your sins. I'm better than you, right? We need to lovingly walk together, hand in hand, fighting sin and fighting for holiness. And in the public square, we have to remember that we are in the world, right? Jesus has called us to be in the world, to work where we work, to live where we live, to love what we love, and to be with the people that we're with. But we are not to be of the world. We are to live differently. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. And I thank you for this opportunity for us to respond to it. God, uh, these three verses are hard, not just because, you know, we're not completely sure what to do with verse six, but, but also because it's just, it's hard to deal with our own sin. And so, Father, I'm praying for our hearts that we would be quick to repent of it, quick to confess it, and quick to fight against it. And God, I pray for our minds that we would focus in on you, focus in on what Jesus has done for us, and and put the word of God deep in our hearts and deep in our minds, that we would memorize it, that we would study it, and that we would let it be what forms and shapes us. God, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, friends, it's time for us to respond. Uh, If you are not a believer, you've heard the gospel. Um, you've been confronted by it, and so I want to encourage you today to turn from your sins and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'll be standing up here. I'd love to, to talk with you and pray with you. Uh, believers, if there's anything you would like prayed over, I'd love to talk and pray with you as well. But Let's all now stand and respond with singing. All right, stay standing, because I've, I've got three announcements. Okay, first one is this. Uh, prayer, Wednesday, 6 a.m. We would love for you to join us, if, if you're able to. Um, we've seen some, some good fruit so far in August, and so I think we're going to continue it into September and just keep praying for um, our church and, and for our community. And so if you can make it, we'd, we'd love to have you. Second thing, Dare to Share for the Youth. That is September 23rd. I need to know ASAP if, if you or your child wants to go. So 6th grade through 12th grade, we're going to go up to Albuquerque. Uh, it's, it's a day-long conference. We'll leave early in the morning. We'll come back later at night. Uh, but that is September 23rd. It's free, no cost, unless you want to buy a T-shirt or something. You should bring money for that. But, but, but let me know if you want to go. Final thing, um, for the Chili Festival Parade, we are going to have some cold bottles of water with stickers with our church's label or label with our church's logo and information on them. Um, If you are not running for the hills during the Chili Festival weekend, if you're here... um and you would like to help us, we're going to station some folks here at, at the church grounds and also at Gary's shop at the Car Quest, just passing out cold bottles of water. So if you would like to help be a part of that, we would love to have you. So just let me or, or uh, Nancy or Darren or Densel um, or Jody know, and, and we, can, we can help to, to get you plugged in uh, to help out with that. So with that said, I love you guys. I know today's been a tough day, but it's been a good day. Let's uh, sing one more chorus and then you're dismissed. Mm-hmm.